So let me just show you in this prayer from uh, Ephesians 3.14, some of these plural yous. So, uh, and, and what I've done is I've added in words that you can pick up that it's, it's referring to all of you. So that, that he may strengthen all of you with power uh, in your being as a community so Christ may dwell in all your hearts through faith. And then down here... I pray that all of you uh, uh, are rooted and established in love. And then together uh, we can see how, and then all of you may be filled with all the measure of the fullness of God. I think I caught many of them. So it's a prayer for the entire community, for the the entire community to be be praying it. So uh, I'm going to pray it over you, and I'm going to read it, so pray with your eyes open, but, but we are praying this together. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen all of you with power through his spirit in your inner being as a community so that Christ may dwell in all your hearts through faith. And I pray that all of you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that all of you may be filled together to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It really is a magnificent prayer. And it took me years to kind of figure out what was going on in this prayer. It's just so magnificent. It's kind of looking at Mount Everest and thinking, how would I ever climb it? So so we're going to kind of unpack it slowly together. And we're we're going to look at each paragraph kind of in turn because each paragraph Paul is doing something a little different. And there's a pattern that that, that I've made bold here in the text that you can pick up uh, that, that Paul prays to the Father uh, for the Spirit. So it's, it, it's, it's a prayer that goes, so he's praying for the Spirit to make Christ present in our hearts. So you can see all the members of the Trinity are, are involved there. So I, I have it down here, pray to the Father for the Spirit to make Christ present. And out of that prayer at the end comes spiritual power. And I've put a hyphen in there because it, it's actually, uh, it's not small as sort of floaty spiritual power, but it's the Holy Spirit. And I, 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 this pattern, this threefold pattern or fourfold pattern, I call the powertrain. You, you know, in your car, engine flow, you know, your power in your car, the engine flows power down to the transmission, down to the axles, and out to the wheels. So there's actually a movement of the power. And, and the church, this is how the church does its work. It's the 
It's the hidden engine of your church, of our church, of the church of Jesus Christ. And when it gets neglected, it, you know, you always have to end up pushing your car. I mean, you can have an amazing car with all the bells and whistles, but if there's no powertrain, it, it just becomes a lot of effort. Let me show you a couple other examples here of this powertrain. Like, this isn't just in this passage, but at Jesus' baptism, now, when all the people were baptized, and Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, and, and they would have known that Jesus was praying because he would have uh, it, lifted his hands up like that because that's how everybody, uh, non-Christians and Christians alike, prayed with their hands up like that. So, and then the heavens were open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus is praying, the Spirit descends, then, the Father, then, then, then Jesus' Father speaks about Jesus, and out of that, Jesus leaves there and goes into the desert and comes out with spiritual power. Uh, here's another example, and, and there are several dozen of this, of this pattern, particularly in Paul's writing and also in Luke and Acts. So, uh, uh, the book of Acts, after Jesus' ascension, uh, b- begins with a 10-day prayer meeting. They all join together constantly in prayer, and, and then when the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place, and the implication is they were still praying. And then out of that, the, the, the Holy Spirit descends, and Peter preaches a sermon about Jesus, and 3,000 Jewish men become Christians. So, a uh, uh, 10-day prayer meeting, the Spirit descends, a sermon about Jesus, and then, uh, then a spiritual power comes out of it. So that's kind of the, just like this isn't just kind of a throwaway. I'm not making a mountain out of a molehill here. Uh, and, and of course, the, the main idea here with the powertrain is that prayer uniquely accesses the spirit of Jesus. So God doesn't just answer our prayers but the Holy Spirit is present in them. And let me give you an example of this. So I've been leading, as Blaine mentioned, uh, prayer cohorts and some of our other staff as well at, at Calvary. And they, they go for 10 weeks. And we've been uh, a personal prayer cohort for your own prayer life. And then, uh, then learning how to pray in community. So we were coming to the end of the praying for community. And I've been doing it with staff. And we, we had this assignment where during the week they had to stop and pray with someone else, just kind of randomly. Like, don't make prayer all weird. Like, it, like it's great to have prayer meetings. I, I, I love that when, when churches do that. But, 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 but what it, you know, it's a beautiful thing when, when prayer becomes uh, part of the, the, the warp and the woof of the entire community. So that was their assignment. And by the way, I had a really creative name for it. We called it Stop and Pray. That was the, so anyway. So um, uh, we were going around and uh, uh, Dave Walters, who's director of family ministries, uh, said, yeah, I had a stop and pray this week. 
he, and, and he described a conversation uh, with a parent who, who was hurting, and uh, it, it really touched our hearts. And, uh, uh, and then Dave said, yeah, I, I stopped and prayed in the middle of the conversation. And I knew why he did, but I just wanted to hear why he articulated it that way. And, and so I said, Dave, why would you stop and pray in the middle? You know, aren't as Christians, we, we pray at the beginning of the end, you know what I mean? And then we're kind of our, on, on our own in the middle. Um, and, and he said, um, I wrote it out, I got to get this. Um, uh, he said, I see things differently when I stop and pray. It still chokes me up a little bit because what he was describing was a way of working where you're aware that you can't do life on our own, that none of us can, that, that, that there is a presence that comes into your conversations, and it's the Holy Spirit. And he brings Jesus. That's the power train at work. I was, I was hearing a report on the presence of the Spirit and then Dave went on to say, you know, you don't solve problems by just talking. And, it, you know, isn't that our default, you know, to do that? So his, him connecting the positive and the negative uh, just really moved me. Uh, so, I mean, that explains, so what, one way of just God doesn't just answer our prayers. God, 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 God's not like a, a prayer machine, you know, where, but... But, he's, but the Spirit is present in them. And it, it's amazing what happens when as a community you begin, or even individually, you, you pray for something over a long period of time and just seeing the life of the Spirit that comes out of that. It, it, it just explains that why unusual things begin to happen that you haven't even prayed for, that just are sort of out of the box. Uh, here's another, I'm just saying the same thing in different ways. When we devote ourselves to praying uh, together, the Spirit shows up, things change. And so what, what we are fighting is incredible cultural headwinds of secularism. That our, 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 our age is sort of a living example of suppressing God. So praying together feels weird. There was a recent bar, uh, a Barna study just before the pandemic, and uh, they, they measured uh, the uh, spiritual disciplines of Americans. And the, the most common discipline, believe it or not, was prayer. 70% of Americans had prayed on their own or, or with someone in the last three months, the way they, they, they asked the question. Uh, and then they asked those people who had prayed uh, uh, if they had prayed during the last three months with anybody else or was their prayer on their own. And 4% had prayed with someone else. That means at one out of 25 uh, people had prayed with someone else. It's just, it just, it, it, even that surprised me. So uh, it, what, what we're looking at is how prayer engages the entire trinity in that. But let me give you an example of this. This uh, was in the same cohort in December. Uh, the following week, uh, Chad uh, Whistler, who's our director of Impact Ministries, 
he just had a, an epiphany in the middle of one of our uh, discussions. Um, and, and he was reflecting on this stop and pray assignment. He, he said, the assignment is not a tip or a trick to get us to pray because we should, but it's a reminder of how we can live and inhabit the world every day. And it's a world that my heavenly Father made, that the Spirit wants to lead. He actually would like to take control of your life. He would like to take control of our community. And the invitation comes through a life of prayer which was just delightful. And now, now let me explain, uh, before I explain this uh, slide, uh, the, the reason Paul references the, the, this pattern of praying to the Father for the descent of the Spirit, for the presence of the Spirit who makes Jesus known, is that's what happened on Easter morning. On Good Friday... Jesus had cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His father heard that prayer. And on Easter morning, this is right out of the book of Acts and Paul's um, uh, epistles, the father gifted the spirit to his son, Jesus. And he remade Jesus' body as a spiritual body, capital S, spirit that we're going to have one day. And out of that came the power, that that's what the power of the resurrection is. So a life of prayer reenacts Easter morning continually. And the, all the pressures that you have that we face, out of that, Paul is such a crazy optimist, not because he's, op, he's a realist, because he's so aware of the power of the Spirit. So... I did kind of a living version of this prayer, of this same prayer, and uh, kind of to tell you what is going on in Paul's thinking, Paul the Apostle. So, I pray to the Father for the Spirit to continuously recreate resurrection in our lives so that Jesus possesses us so we overflow with the love of Christ. That's why this works. It's because Easter worked, because we have that spirit in our, the, the, the Holy Spirit in our hearts now. Now, um, let me go on to the next little, so that was the first one, uh, you know, first paragraph was on the, on the power train, uh, praying to the Father for the Spirit to make Christ present. And now let's look at this next one, and it's kind of what is Paul praying for? Okay, we were looking at the mechanism of prayer, for want of a better word. And uh, so it, he, he actually starts it at the beginning here, so that Christ may dwell in all your hearts through faith. So he's praying for faith. And now he expands on And So I pray for all of you being rooted and established together in love. Now, this is really important. This is not our love for one another. Paul is not praying in this prayer that we would be more loving. Paul is praying that we would be aware of the immensity of God's love for us. So it's a prayer not for output in your life, and Paul will pray for that, but it, it's a prayer for input, 
that faith would grow. And look, and, and, and look at the prayer. It's actually a prayer for capacity because our hearts go get narrow and tight. And it's a, so look, look, look he keeps going. So uh, that, that we have the power together with all the Lord's holy people. And here's the capacity part. Uh, that, that we would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The love of Christ for us as a people of God, both individually and corporately. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that all of you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. He's praying Jesus, the presence of Jesus, into the church in Ephesus. And of course, that's what, that's what this prayer does. It, and that, that's Calvary's greatest need. That's my greatest need. That's all of our greatest need. And why, so I'll, I'll get into the why of that. But just, I, let, let me, so what Paul's praying for is faith. And at its core, Faith is knowing the immensity of Christ's love for you. Now, let, let me just unpack that a little bit. Why is Paul praying for faith? Because faith is the energy for love. Faith empowers love. In Galatians uh, 5, 6, Paul says, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Okay? So that's kind of the idea. Faith, faith is the engine for love. And the problem with faith is, there's several problems with faith, is you don't store it up. It constantly leaks, and in fact, life drains faith. So when your teenager, uh, you're having a difficult conversation with your teenager, if you have teenagers, uh, and they walk out of the room in the middle of the conversation as a parent, that just drains your faith. You know, you just think, am I any good? How do I ever get in the heart of my son or my daughter? You, you just feel so powerless. What you're feeling is your faith. You're just feeling how helpless you are. And I would just, a, a, a couple other scenarios. Um, a, a, your boss takes credit for your work. That drains your faith. When you go into work, you just feel so powerless. It just like you, you feel like you've 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 disappeared. Um, if you have a spouse uh, that, for for example, and these are all kind of random, that tends to be overly critical of you, and and and, and let's say you really work at 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 improving that. But if you keep hearing that criticism, it drains your faith. And you just feel empty inside. And, uh, and what Paul is doing, I should go on the positive here. What Paul is doing is filling you up with Jesus. Because when human loves disappoint us, it opens the door to divine love. If you develop a hunger for Christ... Uh, if you feed your faith and grow your faith, if you pray for your faith, then, then, then you begin to have the power to receive criticism, to have wisdom to know what to say. To go to, you, you, it takes in tremendous faith energy to be humble and for, and for humility to even to become a habit in your life. And that, so faith is so important for humility. And I mean, uh, you know, another example is a... Um, 
a single woman uh, who longs to be married uh, and, and there's no men pursuing her, that can drain her faith over time. And could, she can just, he feels like, what's the point? And uh, so Paul is, what Paul is doing, he's so aware of that, that, that our lives are like, so he's filling us up with Jesus. So here's, here's another little screen here, and I hope to not depress you too much here. Um, but but um, it's just a screen on life drains faith. And I, I, so at, um, uh, at Jesus' baptism, the voice he heard from heaven was building faith. The father was building the faith in his beloved son. You are my beloved son or daughter. I, I made it for our world. With you, I am well pleased. And if, so what Paul, so when you're praying for faith, in your own life and for a community, you are praying that this voice would be the dominant voice that you hear. And that, that you feeling the Father's pleasure over you in life. That the immensity of, and Paul has been doing this for Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. This sermon is kind of hard to kind of pull out of nowhere, but in Ephesians 1, Paul says, God's love for you began before the foundation of the world when you were just merely a thought. God was loving you. And, he, uh, and then that love, and then, then the love, of course, climaxes the cross where our sins are forgiven. But our, our sins aren't just forgiven. All our past sins, our present sins, and even our future sins we have been justified by faith. And that, that declaration for us is a permanent seal over our entire life. And on top of that, you've been given the seal, the very presence of the Holy Spirit who brings Jesus into your soul. Your soul, Paul says, I'm paraphrasing Paul, Paul's writing, has already been resurrected. You have Jesus in you. It's this lavishing of love so that these other voices... And I, I, I changed him for the, you know, the teenager, in effect, is saying, you are my unworthy dad or mom. With you, I am disgusted. The boss, you are my forgotten employee. You make my career great. Or, or a voice from my spouse, you are my unworthy husband. With you, I am disappointed. Or the single woman, you are incomplete without a husband. You are alone. No, those, are, those voices do not control me. And I can flourish even in the midst of those voices. I am not trapped by them. So it's just... Uh, let, let me go on to Johnny's devotional. Uh, this is just another example of this. Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a quadriplegic, and she wrote this uh, last month as one of her uh, devotionals when she was fighting pneumonia on top of everything else. It's no easy task getting me to sleep. I mean, I'm, I'm a quad with all kinds of physical issues, so the other night, Ken, her husband, helped me put on my lymphatic sleeve, that's from the breast cancer she had a few years ago, and my chin strap and mask hooked me up to my ventilator and fed it into my oxygen, then positioned the pillows and asked, are you all set? I could feel the claustrophobia, thinking of the pain I would face in the night. I asked him, through my many layers of stuff, I said, please pray that my faith not fail. And then that, that, that's what she's doing there is she's praying Paul, Paul's Ephesians prayer. 
It's just sort of the most, she needed her faith tank to fill up for a long night where the pain would come at her. And she said, oh, by the way, at the end, oh, and then she, she, she encourages to pray for one another. It's okay to ask a friend, pray that my faith not fail. Which is Peter, Jesus said that to Peter before he deserted Christ. I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith wouldn't fail. And she says, oh, by the way, I made it through that awful night. And what's the result? So here, we've, we've looked at the powertrain here. Uh, we've, we've looked at the, the praying for faith. And now, what's the result? Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I've asked people if they, uh, like, what was Paul the Apostle's life like? We list the things. And then, would you want to be the Paul? And no, you know, I think I would do a pass on that. And... Um, and, and then I said, I, I think Paul would disagree with you because, I mean, he's talking about what his life was like, that God did in through Paul more than he could ask or imagine. Here's a quick example. By the time Paul was executed, probably in 66 uh, AD, uh, there were prob- he had probably planted about two to 300 house churches through the Greek-speaking world and the Roman world. And uh, 45 years later, at 112 AD, we have a letter, chokes me up things like this, they're so amazing, uh, from Pliny the Younger to the Emperor Trajan, he was pulling his hair out, he didn't know what to do, all the temples were shut down because everybody was becoming a Christian. I mean, and that was the seeds that Paul planted. God, that, that's how Paul experienced life. And let me tell you, that is a normal Christian life, a, a community uh, in time as it devotes itself to prayer, as it, as it goes into a deeper surrender to the work of the Spirit in their lives and Jesus, it begins to see in greater ways God doing beyond all that we could ask or imagine. And there are so many sides to that. Um, let me just uh, close before the trap door opens under me here. Uh, just a cup. Here's just a chart on. Uh, I, I, is, like, this is what I want often when I pray. And uh, it's this magic. God does. I, I, I don't talk, I'm not talking about pagan magic. I'm just talking about the. Um, uh, the, the it just your life becomes enchanted. And things happen that you don't expect. Good things. Um, amazing things. And of course it does all pass through the, you, the, the you know, you, you, you do have to constantly go through the dying of Christ. But that's another topic. Anyway, let me just close by, uh, I just want to very briefly mention the armor of God. And I'm doing this because uh, it, it shows how Paul thinks about how prayer works in a community. And I'm not going to read this here, but it's striking. You see all these plurals through it. Um, uh, there's actually 18 plurals in the passage of the armor of God. Paul is equipping an armor, a whole army. 
The Romans always fought together in, in phalanxes. He's not just one individual Christian. And the other theme that comes through the armor of God is Paul is in this to win. He's confident by it, and not win for his will, but for the spirit of Jesus to come out on top. It, there, there's this great expectation that runs through that, that, that we can defeat Satan. Like this whole emphasis on standing in the armor is, um, is God, um, is we've won the battle already and Satan is just counterattacking us. So it, it's really remarkable. Then there's the armor of God all the pieces of the armor of God. And then, so there's the introduction to the armor of God, the armor of God, and then there's the closing, how do you make the armor work? And it's prayer. And look at this description of what a praying community looks like. And pray together in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, let the entire church be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people and pray also for me. Like, it's kind of like this, any which way, whenever you can do it, with ever, whoever you can do it with, pray. It's just like Paul's sort of thinking of every angle because what he's doing, it's not just the discipline of prayer, it's inviting the spirit of Jesus to come in and possess the community and imprint it with his image. So this time you can close your eyes as I, uh, as I pray. I'm going to pray this prayer one more time now. And uh, let's close our eyes now as I pray. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen all of you with power through his spirit in your inner being as a community so that Christ may dwell in all your hearts through faith. And I pray that all of you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that all of you may be filled together to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.